to the She Speak HR podcast. So today you've got me, Amy L, uh, hosting, and I'm joined by two very special guests. So I've got Michael Briggs from our Nottingham office here at She Smith in the employment team. So hi, Michael. You okay? Hi, Amy. Yeah, very well. Thank you. Good, good. Nice to have you back. This is your I second know, my time. second podcast. Yeah. Thank you for having me back. That's all right. It's all good. And we've also got Robert Dagg from Kimber. So hi, Rob. How are you? Hi, Amy. I'm good. Thank you. I'm good. Nice good. to uh, join you, Michael. Yeah, no, it's really nice to have you. Um, do you want to just give us a little bit of background about you um, and what you do at Kimverse? Yeah, so uh, Kimverse is a platform that delivers DNI audits and assessments. So we're a DNI analytics platform, uh, short and sweet, really. So we help organisations understand um, what they've got within their company. Perfect. No, that's great. And how long, how long have you been there for, Rob? Uh, so we set the company up in 2019. So we're still relatively fresh. And um, yes, trying to uh, get out to market now. Perfect. No, that's great. Thank you. Um, and Rob, one of the questions for our listeners when we have somebody new, a guest, come on our podcast, is what your favourite podcast is. So I am going to fire that question to you. <laughs> if you've got one, um, what's your what's your favourite podcast? Um, I don't know, to be honest. There isn't a favourite one. I, I tend to listen to um, quite a few. One that I found interesting of late, actually, is uh, Foxy um, from the um, SASU what the series from the, the SAS guys um he has some really inspirational people that have um that have come on that have come from different walks of life so it's always interesting to see the challenges that people go through to become the top in their field so I find that quite interesting oh that's great no thanks for um thanks for sharing that um so today our topic is diversity and inclusion um so we'll have a bit of a discussion around that and I think it's probably a good to probably start with that generally so DNI generally and my first kind of question is what's the difference I guess between diversity and inclusion or are they the same thing so I suppose Rob do you want to kick us off with that yeah more than happy to um so for me completely different things uh we're without oversimplifying it for us um diversity is a factual thing it, it is what it is you know I am white I am male um and you know it is how I present myself inclusion is about for me is actually around perception it's a feeling you know do I feel included so you can't change your diversity it is you are who you are but actually if I'm made to feel included then as an organization we can change the mix of the organization so for me it's about feeling it's about perception um as opposed to diversity which is factual that's great michael is there anything sort of you would add to that um from your perspective i suppose as well from a kind of almost an employment lawyer's perspective too yeah i think that's absolutely right um they are different um i think it's very important to realize they are different um because diversity is all about what makes us different um, within a group of individuals as well. So that could obviously be our backgrounds, our personalities, our life experience, as well as the protected characteristics that employment lawyers and HR professionals seek to talk about. And inclusion really is about how well each of those differences are valued and integrated into the environment that you're in at the time. There's a great quote that I always go back to, um, and it's about diversity is being asked to the party, inclusion is being asked to dance. So whilst we can all go 
to the party. Yeah. Actually, are we always invited to the dance floor? Not always. So, mm. but and that's that integration of everyone's differences. So diversity is a, a factual state, like Rob is saying. Um, but yeah, are we all going to be mixed up together or work together and be included as one? No, it's great. I quite like that quote. That's actually it it's sums really it up good quote, quite nicely. It? Yeah. yeah. So um, it's Werner Myers whose quote okay. it is. So um, yeah, I, I come back to it all the time, and I've used it in previous discussions mm. as well. But I think it really, really is quite a nice one. Yeah, no, definitely. I think it sums it up quite quite nicely, actually. Um, I suppose this kind of leads on actually to a topic I wanted to touch on today, which is networks, so potentially employee networks. Um, and I suppose the first point is sort of what role do these employee networks play in fostering diversity and inclusion? Um, Michael, maybe start with you, because obviously you are heading up one of the employee networks we have here at Shoesmiths. Um, so what do you think in terms of that? Yeah, so I head up our Proud Network, which is our LGBT plus network um, for our LGBT plus community and the allies of the LGBT plus um, community within Shoesmiths. We have four actual networks, balance in relation to gender, embrace in relation to race um, and religion. And then we've got our mental health and wellbeing champions network as well. So it's really important to have those networks to really bring to the forefront that we are different, we're all different at work and we want to provide a safe space for all of our people. And we also believe it's really important for us as a group of leadership team, well, our, our leadership team to recognize that we have to have networks, but we have to have the networks working together. So we, embrace the diversity we want to recognize the diversity we want to provide the avenues for those within each of our groups of people um, but we want everyone to work together as well so whilst we have got the different strands of network is what i call them we really have to understand how they all work together interrelate and the, the really important topic of intersectionality across them all no, that's great. Thank you. It's a really good um, summary as well of obviously the ones we do have at Shoesmith. It may be that some of our listeners have similar networks in their organisations or different networks or might not have any and are thinking about introducing them. I suppose flipping it slightly. So well, there's obviously the benefits of them. Do you think, I suppose, that networks could maybe play against an employer's aim in terms of diversity and inclusion? I don't know, Rob, whether you've got a view on that. Fundamentally, I agree with, with Michael's position, actually. I think that Overall, it's a positive thing for organisations. I think creating a uh, psychologically safe space for people to be able to be open, um, and they're probably going to be open with like-minded individuals or, or individuals that they feel akin to, um, and therefore, you know, the more diverse input you can have into an organisation, I think, is a really positive thing. The negatives around it is it if not handled the right way and for the right purpose, I think it can start to create groupthink kind of uh, mentality. And if I shout the loudest, we will get the most. And um, and I think you run the risk of that. And But that's happened in most companies at one stage or another, certainly of, of any size. And, you know, without 
pick on any particular part of the uh, the business you know the sales teams historically have probably had louder voices um and they are seen as the breadwinners but they can't do their job without everybody else so there was probably less need for them to have a voice um but you'd also find in any sales team people that were marginalized and so that's where i think these networks can really really start to bring out um support so fundamentally i think they're the right thing and, and a good thing for business um but I can also see handled the wrong way. I think they can have negative consequences or um, undesired consequences. Mm. No, uh, that's great. Oh, sorry. I think you if go. I can just add to yeah. like the importance of networks here, really, it is you've got to have, the networks have got to have their own purpose in any event, and whether that's about really embracing like respect, support, support, well-being of those that benefit from the network providing opportunity for all and ensuring, like Rob is saying, everyone can be their authentic selves at work. But I think one of the really important things of employee-led networks is this position on education and training for the wider workforce. And having that ability to bring matters of importance from those that are within certain networks to the attention of others within an organization like us here at Shoesmiths, I think that's a really important piece to really support a firm's overall objectives for diversity and inclusion and equity. That's great. Thanks, Michael. And I think, yeah, I think like you say, it's it kind of brings it to the forefront for everybody and, and it can be used in that positive way. Um, and I think picking up on something you said, Rob, sort of almost about kind of that teamwork piece as well, it probably leads on nicely to another topic I wanted to touch on today, which is recruiting a diverse workforce. Um, and I think sort of given your role and um, sort of what you do and you sort of from a data perspective, I suppose, yeah. how, how does data help us recruit a diverse workforce? Um, I think it's fundamental. Um, I would say that, so, um, but, but I, I don't think it is fundamental. Um, we've been working with certain organisations that, you know, the researchers out there, whether it's McKinsey's, Harvard, whoever it is that you want to, to look at, um, about the, the benefits of having a diverse workforce. Now, that's not just gender or race, it's neurological conditions, it's socioeconomic, it's education, it's location, it's, you know, the vast variety of diversity of thought, um, as well as the other characteristics, is massive. It's, you know, it can add, uh, I think some of the research is up to 35% to the bottom line. So from a board level, I don't know why it's not mandated that we have a diverse workforce. It's, it's just as simple as that. But unless you have the data to back up, um, what I have seen organisations get wrong is when they, not necessarily jumping on a bandwagon, you know, the intention is meant well, but without understanding where you're starting from, you don't know where you need to get to. Um, so you could be going off on the wrong journey, which is some of the things we've seen with organisations setting out the goals to focus on gender or race. And actually, they don't have a gender or race issue. They've got a socioeconomic issue or they've got a, a neurological condition uh, bias within the organisation. And they're not using data to understand that. So there are platforms out there, but actually taking the data on and, and using other things, uh, other technology stacks that are out there as well. You know, you can, if you don't have a diverse workforce, you can use positive discrimination, which is illegal. Um, and I've seen some adverts out recently that being going, we want women to fill this job. And I'm thinking, yeah, that kind of sounds wrong. Um, and regardless, you know, there are ways to do it. 
if you want more females within the organization, it is around the culture. You can go and hire another female, say, you know, another 10 women if we don't have the balance right. But if you're a misogynistic organization and you don't have the right reason for them to stay, then six months down the road, they're going to leave. So, you know, really using data to understand who we are and where, where we're at, but also the inclusion, how inclusive we are as an organization, I think is critical. So data for me underpins all of that. Again, yeah. with the caveat that <laughs> I do have a biased opinion on that. Yeah. <laughs> but without the biased opinion coming from myself, um, <laughs> we all work within this massive world of data nowadays, don't mm. we? And I think one of the important elements of data, and it's, it's something that I've worked with clients on, is how you can take a snapshot at one point and then you can see the progress in the yeah. particular areas. And it's not necessarily setting the end goal, say, I want to ensure from a from a lawyer's perspective, say we want a 50-50% of male-female partners. Um, we're going to be 50-50. We should obviously be 50-50 um, and that will come. But like Rob is saying, we can have a culture, we can have this position on diversity and inclusion that comes naturally. And I think that's the important part here. We've got a culture that we understand the importance of diversity and inclusion in the workforce and what the benefits are whether that's sparking innovation like just getting better answers and better solutions and making better decisions within a diverse workforce so providing everyone's being included to the dance floor obviously as well <laughs> Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think that kind of answers another question I was going to throw out there in terms of what Sorry, should No, 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 it's all good. It's all good. Um, in terms of, yeah, what employers should consider, I guess, in addition to when they're seeking to recruit a diverse workforce. And I think, as you say, culture is going to be a massive part of that um, and help shape that as well. So, no, that's great. And culture um, shouldn't be forced, obviously, either. No. So, and that's, you can tell if it is you want to yeah. work in a natural environment um, where diversity and inclusion is embedded into an organization yeah and I think if you've got an organization like that employees are likely to be there longer want to be there and I think that goes into the retention point of actually um, retention and culture I suppose what a question from me is sort of what can employers consider to ensure that culture becomes that foundational, I suppose, asset to their organisation. So I suppose, as you were saying, Michael, more of a natural thing. Um, I don't know, Rob, do you, do you want to, do you have yeah. any sort of thoughts on that? So actually going back to the very first point, um, Michael was talking about, you know, these employee resource groups are fundamental um, because unless you hear directly from the staff, I think that there's two angles. You have to look at it from the top up, sorry, from the top down and from the bottom up. Um, I think whatever the culture is, it has to be set and embodied by the senior management team. If it's not, then you've got no hope. It just won't work. And likewise, unless you're listening to you know those on the on the shop floor, or the ground floor, that are saying, well, you know, trends are changing, and we're going to we want to work in this kind of environment, then all voices have to have a uh, be invited to the dance um, and. <laughs> be invited to dance, not just invited to it. Um, so I think, you know, the retention and part it, to it is to make sure that we are as inclusive and actually we change policies, you know, things that are changing. Um, I was talking to somebody the other day, a partner at a, at a firm and, um, you know, the, the amount of times he's heard a comment directly saying, if she was a bloke, she'd be a partner. 
and he was left fabergasted. He was just, oh my God, you know, so why isn't she a partner then? If she's qualified and she brings the work in, well, you know, she might be sloping off shortly to have kids or whatever. It's like, oh my God. And it's quite a large firm. Um, and he was shocked to actually hear that. Mm. Um, and that's where not listening to the staff can really get you into into hot water because all of a sudden you will then then have a ivory tower or them and us kind of approach. And, and that's no good for anyone, especially in, in the market that we're in right now. You know, it has changed significantly in the last three years. And unless you are asking people in a way that they can tell you honestly, which is uh, plugging our platform, which is what we can do on the inclusion side, and that's why it's different to diversity. So wrapping it all back to, you know, it is fundamentally different. You can change the diversity makeup of your organisation if it needs to, or if you want to, by making sure you are more inclusive towards the kind of cohorts or the people that you want to try and attract. So if you don't have wheelchair access or, or something else, you, you're not going to get people that want to work in that organisation. Um, and they don't have to be disabled to think, I don't want to work for you. They can just say, actually, I don't think you're inclusive, so I don't want to work for you. Um, and they could be a full-time athlete or you know whoever it is. Um, people's mindset is made up of how inclusive are you as a, as a complete organisation, and that builds the retention piece. And the generational aspect there as well to recruitment, people do want to see an organisation being diverse and inclusive having fair policies, procedures, et cetera. So an organization has to be completely aligned to diversity and inclusion to ensure that it attracts talent mm -hmm. and retains talent. So this, this it's not concept, but diversity and inclusion really has to be led from the top, like Rob is saying, and really embodied into the culture of the organization. Yeah, and no, it's a really good point. And, and I think like you're right, we sort of did, um, we had sort of a previous episode of this podcast where we spoke sort of more generally about the recruitment scene and what pe what candidates are looking for and things like that. And it really came across that culture and having diversity and inclusion embedded into that culture naturally, as you said earlier, Michael, was a really key thing that um, recruiters were reporting back on to say, this is what people are asking for now. Okay, yeah, they want a fair salary. They want to have a, a fair enough balance of work life. But actually, this is now a really key thing for people and they are kind of not bothering looking at some organizations if they don't get a very good impression from them that they're actually embracing and, and doing all these things um which is quite interesting because maybe how many years ago it might have been a bit different um in the, in the market um so i suppose if we sort of wrap up let's wrap up wrap up with something to do with data considering we've got you on rob um so i suppose sticking with the kind of retention point um so what how do you think data kind of helps us i suppose retain a um diverse workforce and assist with culture so the way that we've been working with organizations at the moment we can understand where the issues are by, by the inclusion part of our, our questionnaire um we can understand where the mindset of of individuals are we give them open access to be able to tell us where they see problems within the organization and if there are certain areas that need to be addressed then that gives the organization the ability to address those concerns that employees have the one thing i will say that kind of gets lost in most of the rhetoric that, that I hear in, in the marketplace is that we need everybody on board to make these decisions happen. You need, or not you, you know, a, an organisation needs the white males to be on board. We need them to champion this because without them at the table having the conversation, 
then it's not inclusive. A, it's not inclusive, but B, you know, they are unfortunately still in the in the masses and in the power at the moment. So, um, you know, nothing's going to get done without them on board. And so therefore using data and bringing, you know, facts and science to it. Um, and it's, it's relatively easy to bring data and facts and science to something that people have historically thought of feelings are squishy and soft and, and actually they are, but without the right feelings in the organization, people don't belong, so they'll leave. So um, fundamentally, yeah, I, you know, I'll always go back to, to using data again, purely because the business we're in, but um, <laughs> but if, if, you know, we are a, we help uh, organizations to get that insight that they can't get any other way. You know, nobody's going to sit there and open up. They may do over a beer to one person, but actually you're going to get other people talking to you. What if they don't drink beer? What if they drink coffee? And or they don't drink at all or they run home straight after work because they've got somebody to look after. So, you know, you need a way to approach everybody in the organization mm -hmm. and data can can give you that leading edge. No, it's great. Thank you. It's been really great to have you actually and to get that perspective on things as well and, and understand. I don't know, um, Michael, do you have any kind of concluding thoughts on uh, today's topics? Um, lead from the top organizations <laughs> and um, yeah, data is key in everything that we do. So um, a plug there to uh, Rob and a big thank you to Rob for coming on board. Yeah, no, thank you both for um, Thanks, joining me today. So um, our uh, listeners, we do have an email address, so shoespeakhr at shoesmith.co.uk. So our listeners sometimes will write in with questions and whatnot. Um, and we do normally say that they can obviously reach out to you guys on LinkedIn, for example, if they want to as well. Um, but no, thank you both for joining and um, thank you. Hope, hope you've enjoyed it. <laughs> thank you. Good. Thank you very much. Thank you. Pleasure.